0: We actually forgot to do an intro, so let's just do that right now. Thank you for hitting play, guys. You're listening to Modern Guild. Hello to anybody out there who uh, have tuned in their air holes to Damon and I today. Um, My name is Hayden, and I'm talking with Damon. We talk about um, the modern world and the lunacy of of those living in it, uh, sometimes through their own volition or sometimes as a result of broken systems (laughs) yeah Uh um we um like to talk a bit of shit some of what we're talking about is going to be maybe insider stuff so sorry about that but i hope you enjoy it um yeah have a listen have fun
1: let us know what you think
0: all right one two three Sweet. sweet um so yeah we're talking about like sugar and the importance of what you put in your body, because if you're eating bad shit, you'll just get
1: fucked up. Um, I, I mean, anyone who's, like, done the thing where you, you drink, like, you know, half a bottle of wine a night or a few beers a night, you do that yeah. for a week, and then you suddenly have this disgusting ring of fat around your, like, midsection would know oh, that. Dude. You know? Like, it yeah. just happens, man. It's gross.
0: Called, yeah. um, visceral fat, I learned. In this documentary, <laughs> really, and it's like it's fat um, around your like organs, not just under your skin. That's um, Which is why it's so dangerous, because yep. like it's that fat is constricting the function of your organs and your body. Which is why dudes who get like bare bellies and shit get fucking diabetes and heart disease or whatever. Oh,
1: what um, a glamorous ending yeah. to life. Uh, Cause like if you would have just oh straight up
0: (laughs) requiem for a dream shit um yeah because if you were to just eat like i don't know what's like a normal fatty food say if you were just to drink like heaps of soup or whatever you would like eventually gain fat but it would be like evenly distributed but there are certain sugars
1: um that yeah turn into visceral fat i can't remember what they were um but yeah I've, uh, on that note I've just been eating soylent tablespoons of... it's all bad nah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um
0: dude I've been since that doco I stopped eating sugar pretty much <clears throat> um yeah, I mean, it's only been, like, five days, about, but I decided to try and yeah. stop it's Yeah, about, it. um... Oh, I mean, I'm having, like, okay. natural sugar. So
1: bananas and oranges and apples are all good.
0: Yeah, or, like, some fucking tomato sauce with sugar yeah. in it or whatever. But I'm not eating, like, sweets. Oh, yeah, well, you know? fuck that shit, I don't bro. Want to, How
1: do people even do
0: that? Yeah, I don't want to eat, like, lollies or chocolate. I've, I'm addicted to really? chocolate, bro. I cannot... Yeah, I cannot not eat chocolate. If it's in front of me, I will fucking eat it. But I'm trying
1: to cut it that eh? day because that shit hurts my teeth, man. Like, it really hurts. So I, I'm, like, heavily averse to it. So sensitive I teeth, do, bro, man. I do. And... um Yeah, there you go. As a Pacific Island person, I, like, lose salts like, like nothing else, you know? Like, I'm just constantly yeah, sweating. It's, it's gross. It's, like, just... Just this endless stream of oh, my too, electrolytes yeah. dripping out of me. So I'm always craving, like, meat and stuff, you know? Yeah, right.
0: Um, uh, how often do you go to the gym each week? Uh, three times a week. Yeah, cool. That's good. Um, Do you find that what you eat changes the way that you work
1: out or feel when you work out? Um... Nah, I've had a pretty consistent diet for like years now, though. Yeah, like, I I've never really been into sweet stuff, just because it hurts yeah. my teeth so much. Uh, which I'm sure yeah, is right. a dentist problem that I am not addressing. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I, it's not a problem unless you
0: go to the dentist. Yeah, right. It's like, Man. The, uh, what's that fucking physics theory where like something doesn't happen until you observe it oh schrodinger's cat <laughs> schrodinger's cat yeah that's it yeah so i've got schrodinger's like, that's tooth. what dentistry is man oh totally yeah like that field doesn't actually exist until you go and sit in the chair
1: i actually have an interesting insight into that because i used to date a dentist and i remember a few conversations where i found out that dentists are paid on commissions and so they actually get paid by the uh the number of and shit that they give you like that's where they make the real money that's the bread and butter um man, so man. i think the economics of that profession are a little skewed man and I, I don't know if there's anything out there on big tooth but i would love someone to investigate that because i'm not entirely convinced that dentists are uh, honest actors dude
0: that makes so much sense because i've always been vaguely weirded out by dentists and yep. like when i've met someone my age who was like studying to become a dentist or whatever i've always been like mm, really <laughs> like that's kind of creepy like i don't know like i don't think we're going to be friends yeah um and that yeah maybe that's just my intuition telling me they're trying to fleece me
1: yeah yeah Well, um, have you ever had the experience where you go to a dentist and they're just like oh man big hole in the back you're you know, fucked th- yeah <laughs> this is next to cancer you you're gonna need a whole new mouth bro <laughs> you know five yeah, grand yeah. like oh, i for sure i went to a dentist for ages that was trying to convince me to get a filling and i'd always just put it off yeah i haven't been to a dentist in like two years now um and i don't <laughs> have fine. any problems man my teeth are fine i actually went to yeah. another dentist after that guy uh who was like oh no there's no problem there um you know in your teeth but this other area and I was like I don't know about this I think I'm getting uh I think I might be getting a raw deal here um you know two things firstly you should
0: marry your fascination with grifters with your newfound suspicion of dentists for our next podcast you should try and find this historically corrupt dentist who well the guy who like pioneered commissions in dentistry you should like talk about that if that, that guy exists
1: I would want to I honestly had one of the most interesting conversations with a um, senior dentist when I was out for dinner one night he was telling me about <laughs> how the, honestly it's astounding man he was telling me how they used to um, like gold plate people's teeth just to like rack in uh, ACC money and so they would do all these like really hardcore fillings and and Like, just charge it to ACC or whatever. Right. Yeah. Whatever the institute at the time that was like paying the bills. Yeah. It was like a public health fund or whatever. Yeah. And was creaming money. And he was stoked on it. He was like, Oh, you know, you wouldn't believe it. Like, go to the dentist and and I'd see uh, one of the other dentists there rock up in a new Ferrari. And it was just like, he's like, We're just handing out fillings left and right.
0: Yeah. Probably (laughs) just like, like putting a markup on
1: the gold as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, a dodgy... The thing is, man, is, like, everyone knows that a mechanic might be dodgy, but you're too stupid to, like, understand the workings of a car. Yeah, like, you, right. you always suspect that you're getting, like, kind of fleeced on it. Like, you don't know how much car parts cost. But yeah. dentists fly under the radar because it's, like, it's under the guise of, like, oh, we're health professionals, you know, so... Yeah,
0: like, this is an altruistic person. No. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah. Um... Uh, man (laughs) so i will look into that i'll see if there's any famous grifter dentists out there because that would be fascinating and back Um, up my theory the second thing i was going to say
0: before i get into show and tell is that about 18 months ago i was uh at my like old hospo job and i (laughs) speaking of sugar wanted like an afternoon (laughs) sugar hit just to like pick me up so started munching on this fucking cookie and it was like a white chocolate and macadamia cookie and i bit down and just heard this like gnarly crunch and i was like what the fuck is this like a piece of cement in the yeah. cookie
1: yeah
0: and like spat it out into my hand and it was like one of my molars um and oh what my yeah one of my molars had just like split in two in my mouth as i bit this cookie and i was like what the fuck and like like half of it is still in there but it's being like capped or whatever and i looked at this half that was in my hand and it was like all fucked up like on the inside of it you know what i mean and i that's horrendous and i was like took a massive hit to like my self-esteem i was like oh my god i'm like a a leper of the mouth or something like i'm a feral (laughs) rotten tooth man or something and then like went into the dentist And I was, like, naive enough that I took the half that had already broken off with me and was like, here it is, put it back. And he's like, no, that doesn't happen. Um, And anyway, basically what had happened is this dentist from when I was, like, a fucking kid, basically, or a teenager or whatever, like, did a filling on that same tooth but just fucked it up and didn't seal it properly. So, like, it had just kept, like, decaying inside and getting weak this whole time. And then it just... (sighs) The straw that broke the camel's back was me biting into the cookie and it just, like, cracked in half. Oh, uh, dude, that's horrifying, <laughs> eh? Yeah, it was fucking unsettling. Oh, and, like, man, that's gross. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. No, not to tooth shame you. No, no, no. <laughs> I I tooth shame myself about it still because, like, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm a failure as a father and a son. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh.
1: Cross, that's brutal. So,
0: yeah. So you went first last week. So right. I'm gonna jump. Hit into me it. with
1: your show and tell. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, you might have even seen uh, this doco that I'm gonna talk about. But have you seen the doco? Dig with an exclam- exclamation mark.
1: Is that about the Dandy Warhols? And
0: <laughs> oh yes. Oh, I that. haven't
1: seen it, man. I'm just. I'm a right. really big fan of Brian Jonestown and of the Dandy Warhols. Oh, um, dude, you're
0: going to fucking love this thing. Yeah,
1: and I've heard it's really good, and I just never got around to seeing it. You anyway. know. Well,
0: you're going to watch it after I'm finished with this, I'm sure, because, um, yeah. yeah. I was a big fan of the Dandy Warhols before the doco and had heard a bit of Brian Jonestown Massacre but wasn't massively into them, but then listened to them a lot after seeing this doco, and I agree, I love both bands. Um, yeah, But this documentary will force you to detach the music from them as people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Like, I still love the music, but these are some of the most reprehensible people that have ever lived. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, this documentary is called Dig, with an exclamation point, and it was, like, filmed, directed, and produced by this guy called Ondi Timona. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, but anyway. So... It was filmed over seven years, and I suppose this guy must have been just really good friends with both bands um, because it's compiled from apparently over 1,500 hours of firsthand, like, primary footage. And so it's just, like, all, like, intimate archive-style footage on, like, a shitty camcorder a lot of the time with, like, interviews uh, with band members done by the same dude filming so it's real guerrilla style but edited in like a a nice way in the end um and it starts off i believe in 1995 um in the sort of post nirvana and kirk cobain void Mm. (laughs) Um, yeah yeah i think the world came out of the 80s with glam rock uh and then nirvana kind of gave people's perceptions of rock and roll like a real adrenaline shot Yeah, Um, the original Sad Boys. Exactly. But then, you know, Kurt Cobain committed suicide and suddenly there wasn't another band that sort of uh, sounded like or behaved like Nirvana or just filled that hole, I suppose, for people. And it's not explicitly stated in the documentary, but I think both of these bands think that they're going to fill that. Um, And so the documentary follows... The lead singers of these two bands so anton newcomb who is the lead singer of uh the brian jones massacre and courtney taylor the lead singer of the andy warhols and sorry i said the andy warhols the dandy oh, right. warhols yeah, yeah yeah um so the dandies are from portland oregon um and the brian jones town massacre are from san francisco so both west coast cities um and through uh whatever means courtney and anton meet each other and immediately click uh creatively and as people and sort of adopt each other as muses in a sense and they talk about how they push each other creatively and that uh, no one else inspires them musically in the same way that those two inspire each other so it's a pretty cool like romantic i guess sort of artistic relationship which like most artists would dream of having um but it's complicated by the fact that anton is just like probably a schizophrenic or at least has bipolar disorder yeah um and is a heroin addict um and just consumes every substance in front of him regardless yeah of what it <laughs> yeah, is. yeah and courtney probably likes to frame himself as that but isn't actually as hardcore as he acts he's just taking um, sugar <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> I mean, no, like, you know, basically every character in this doco does heroin, but to different extents, I think, and they cope with it differently. Um, so there's this, like, awkward juxtaposition throughout the whole thing, and I guess this is all just the context, that, like, Courtney is sort of the prima donna, and Anton is the real authentic raw motherfucker but that's almost his downfall you know yeah so um throughout the whole story courtney is the one that like comes out better off even though he's been fake the
1: whole time um you can hear it in the fucking music yeah you can i i agree with you man. yeah and i like both um, of them for that exact reason you know Danny yeah. walls is pop brian jonestown is like depression just exactly it way. is
0: heroin addiction man like it <laughs> yeah. sounds like heroin just like sludgy rock it's also important to note that basically all of the band members of both of these bands were essentially drug addicts also um albeit high functioning yeah so when this doco starts like the Brian Jones town Massacre essentially driving around the west coast just playing gross like you know bar shows. Um, and crashing on people's couches. Uh, Anton is homeless, and his entire band basically hates him. But they just acknowledge what a creative genius he is, so they stay with him for that reason. Um, but like every couple of months, one of the band members will quit. Um, there's a scene where one of them literally talks about how many times he's quit the band, and I think he says like 17 times. That's um, crazy. Yeah. But like they all kind of rely on him in a way because I think they're all just junkies as well and don't actually have anything better to do. Um, Sorry
1: to interject quickly. No, that's okay. I just feel like whenever I hear these stories, I think it it sounds like it's operating on the weird side of like you're in sort of like a, you know, with a bunch of like drunked out losers, but you don't know. Like you're trying to like convince yourself that you're actually doing something with your life. Like how many of these stories would just end with like, everyone's actually just a heroin addict and not a musician you know exactly <laughs> it's
0: the whole goes back to the whole like cult personality thing that we talked about cuz yeah anton is really cultish man he even looks a bit like charlie manson crossed with like john lennon
1: yeah um, hard oh, the side bends, and uh. like he
0: has this like sociopathic behavior and tendencies the way he like treats people and like his partners throughout this documentary and stuff as in like his female partners yeah. Um. he's really like abusive and manipulative to everyone around him Um. and yeah. I think in a sense he, he has roped in the other members of his band and sort of like hollowed them out in a sense um, <laughs> so brutal so like as both bands are rising and becoming more popular um, the Dandy Warhols are totally in awe of the Brian Jonestown massacre and they have this like reputation that precedes them um, and they're known really well for their like uh, violent acts during their shows where mm. they fight each other and assault members of the crowd smash instruments yeah. uh, vomit and bleed everywhere and all this kind of shit Um, and there's this like mystique within the music industry around them as this band that are kind of like the death throes of rock and roll Um, yeah they're kind of like the last violent seizure of <laughs> you know this life form before yeah. it passes
1: out that's surprising yeah um, how do you mean well i just i like never would have imagined the the dandy warhols to be like a, a crazy live act you know
0: oh sorry this was the brian jones oh the brian
1: yeah. oh okay yeah i would imagine mm-hmm. that yeah. maybe i
0: misspoke but yeah. yeah um so while they have this reputation though it's pretty widely acknowledged that they're just too insane to sign to a record deal so this whole <laughs> time they're just operating independently yeah um and meanwhile, the Dandy Warhols are striving to be like the Brian Jonestown Massacre, but they have this poppy sheen to them and they get signed pretty quickly to Capitol Records, which at the time was one of the you know largest labels in the state. So they get this huge production budget and start working on these songs and everything's looking up for them. Um, and that this is the start of the rift between Courtney and Anton. Um, so... While the Dandies are working on their debut album, um, Anton sells the next Brian Jonestown Massacre album to this producer in LA in exchange for them covering the rent on this house that essentially becomes like a heroin den slash squat house that all of the Brian Jonestown Massacre move into that just becomes this like perpetual fuckstorm of people just yeah. coming and going. They have no furniture um it's just like just the worst possible uh version of Andy Andy Warhol's factory you know what i mean yeah 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 i think it's like this art scene and it's yeah. like a movement but it's actually just people living in squalor and like fucking and stabbing each other and shit <laughs> um and <laughs> there's this interesting point where the uh dandy Warhol's hear about their house And they decide that it would be really cool if they go over there to do a photo shoot um, because they'll be able to uh, sort of pose in this really gritty, intense environment um, to do their press shots. Yeah. So they rock over unannounced, uh, and the Brian Jonestown massacre are all just kind of just uh, wallowing about. (laughs) Um, And there's like this point of tension because they're just like, oh, like, you know, fuck you guys why are you trying to be like us when we actually do this and all you want to do is come in here with your fucking cameras and act like you do it and the dandy warhols just like laugh it off and are like whatever like we're successful you're not so we're taking our photos and leaving yeah (laughs) um and that becomes like a real a real sticking point in this kind of conflict as well so moving on the dandy warhols released their first album and despite having like a huge promo budget and flashy music videos and stuff like that the album basically flops and sells fuck all yeah but they still end up touring europe and they're still going pretty well and they have um a multi-album deal so they've still got a chance to you know keep going and make their next album bigger and better or whatever um meanwhile the brian jones town massacre decide to embark on what's going to be their most ambitious tour yet. Um, And up until this point, they've never managed to keep their shit together long enough to do a national tour because something has always imploded on the road. But because Anton is like driven by this competitive spirit, he decides that they're all going to go out on the road. It's going to be their biggest tour yet. And they're basically going to come home having established themselves as the band to sign kind of thing. But as you can imagine, it doesn't happen. Um, they fight each other on stage. Their manager quits halfway through the tour. Anton tells everyone he doesn't need them because he's great enough to do it by himself. Ugh. Halfway through their tour, Courtney flies out to meet them in, I think, New York. Um, and it's kind of like, this is fun. I'm going to go and like hit the road with them for a little bit. And they're kind of just like, why the fuck are you here? and that sounds... he kind of laughs his way through it, but yeah. he's really unwelcome. Um, Fuck, that sounds awkward. And then, yeah, exactly, <laughs> man. Then the Brian Jonestown Massacre are driving through Georgia when they get pulled over uh, and they get busted with weed and their fucking tour is over. Um, so that sort of spells the beginning of the end for them. Um, even though none of them go to jail or anything for it, it kind of starts to unravel even further from here. They start going to the Dandy Warhols shows without tickets and like harassing audience members outside venues and just <laughs> assaulting people. Are you serious? Um, That's so and... pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and they they start like getting sharpies and I think writing the names of the Dandy Warhol members on shotgun shells and posting them to the Dandy Warhols. Yeah, and the Dandy Warhols start to get really freaked out about it uh, because they're basically being like stalked because the Brian Jonestown crew have this psychotic, gross vendetta against them. The whole time, by the way, this doco is being narrated by Courtney, who has (laughs) this horrific, like, '90s hipster American accent. And the whiniest fucking voice and sounds like he's just baked the entire time. <laughs> so even though, like, this story is being told through his lens and you're supposed to hate uh, Anton and the Brian Jonestown crew, you also just fucking hate the Dandy Warhols because they're just so prissy and frustrating.
1: Yeah, which you can um, totally imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and despite, like, all of this tension courtney still kind of like feigns this friendship and he doesn't quite want to like let go i guess of this relationship that he thinks they still have yeah so he convinces this label rep uh who was from the largest indie label in the states at the time to sign the brian donestown massacre so they send this a&r who's never signed a band before to work out this deal and the Jonestown guys decide that Anton can't go to the meeting because he's just too much of a loose cannon. So they send, like, their bassist or whatever, yep. <laughs> it's just this mellow dude, and the a and like, oh, yeah, like, this is fine, cool, like, I'm signing the Brian Jonestown massacre, like, this, these guys are nice, which obviously isn't the case. Um, mm. They start just, like, blowing their recording advance on hotel parties and just getting, like... <laughs> further, like more debaucherous than they already were yeah. Um, and end up getting dropped from the label. A bit after this, the Dandy Warhols have put out two more albums, I think, if I remember correctly. And on their third album, their single, Bohemian Like You, is on it, which is what everyone knows them for. Um, mm. And it ends up on this mobile phone ad in Europe. And they basically get this call and they're just like, you guys are – fucking number one in the UK and Germany or Europe's in love with you sort of thing Yeah. so they do this victory lap tour of Europe and then end up playing festivals to tens of thousands of people and essentially reach the pinnacle of rock stardom um, while <laughs> Anton and the Brian Jonestown massacre are just <laughs> the same scum that they always were basically.
1: Swallowing in heroin addiction Exactly
0: um, and there's no real Climax to all of this, which I kind of like about it, because it's just a, a literal burnout. You know, yeah. like, um, the, the Dandy Warhols obviously just keep going as a band, but their fame or their star falls pretty quickly after this album. Like, they still have a a strong sort of cult following of fans, but they never received any sort of like critical acclaim again. I don't think, to my knowledge. Yeah. Um, despite me being a fan of their music yeah i mean they really didn't right sorry yeah exactly yeah yeah um so to be honest i haven't listened to their later albums so maybe they are good (laughs) and they just flew under the radar you know but i can't imagine it to be honest
1: Nah. um (laughs) and i like i'm a fan when i say i'm a fan i'm a fan of like three songs of the dandy warhols and maybe eight songs or ten songs of the um Oh, actually, no, that's not true. I, like, really enjoy a lot of the Brian Jones Sound Massacre. but um... Oh,
0: man. They are they're so fucking good. And I guess, like, yeah. that's a good way to segue. <laughs> I didn't mention this, but the way that they make music is just insane, dude. Because in this, like, squat house that they set up in L.A., they build a full studio in the house. Um And Anton Newcomb just records mixes produces everything he can play every instrument um and they'll just binge on fucking heroin coke drink whatever yeah and just write record and produce an album in a week and then just send it to a label and be like put it out whoa it's that's fucking crazy. masterpiece yeah yeah, like, yeah the speed that they work at is unreal and like most of the writing is all done by anton um and he really does have this, like, sage-like ability to just pump out next-level music. Yeah. And that's a part of the reason that his band stays with him through all this shit, and the part of the reason that the Dandies still hang on to this friendship that he's basically undermining the entire time. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, essentially, like, they uh, get dropped from their label, as I have mentioned, I think. Um, And the doco ends on this really tragic but like fitting note. Anton's band has all left him, so he's touring just solo as the Brian Jonestown massacre. And ends up in this sort of like Johnny Cash esque slump, you know, just playing like fucking diners and shitty dive bars and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. 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 He's about to play the show and he gets news that his son is born to this woman that he's with. Yeah. So he has a newborn son who he's never seen and then goes on stage and announces to the crowd um, after talking to the camera and saying this is a really good night my son's been born this is like the start of the rest of my life sort of thing and has this sort of probably hollow hope but he still has hope you know and he's part way through the set um, and he invites on a female guest to uh, perform a song with him and this fucking douchebag in the crowd just, like, heckles them, and he says something like, when are you going to fuck her or something? And it's basically implying that they should, like, fuck on stage. Yeah. Um, and even though Anton's just an immoral shitbag, he, like, grandstands as if he's this really, like, uh, you know, dignified person and calls out this member of the crowd for making, like, a sexist remark, which is, you know, you should call that out, but Anton shouldn't be the one to do it.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. he just, like come up here and say this to my face you know like i'll fucking kill you like i'll rip your face off or whatever um and this dude in the crowd goes up to the front of uh the stage and is just like trolling him like from two meters away so anton just assaults him viciously um i can't remember exactly what he does to him but he fucks this dude up i think maybe he bottles him or something um yeah and jesus fucking christ the police and ambulance have to get called and like the whole crowd erupts into this like melee it's just like a riot in the in the venue and anton ends up being uh arrested he is never allowed to have custody of his child who he's never even seen are you Um, serious that's so (laughs) fucked oh my yeah yeah. so his last sort of like maybe opportunity to find some sort of happiness or greater purpose i suppose is taken away from him by his own stupid fucking action, as were so many other opportunities. Um, I think now, though, Anton is married uh, and living in Berlin with a child. I'm not sure if it's the same one, but he's pretty reclusive now, but just produces uh, solo albums, um, still pumps them out. I think to this date, he's put out something like 16 albums. Yeah, Um, yeah and yeah so that's dig i mean
1: he's still touring man like he was around in two years ago he came to new zealand or something like that. yeah um so he
0: actually um there was a bit of a media shitstorm in australia because of some uh some issue with like a female fan or something he he made a joke about rape on stage in melbourne um of all the places to do it as well yeah, um, not that you should ever do it, but like, <laughs> yeah, especially no, not in Melbourne. No. Um, and then, yeah, the Australian media really got up him, and then he was just like, "Okay, cool, I'm never going to come back to Australia then." Um, which probably means yeah. he's never going back to New Zealand either.
1: Um, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, to be honest, I don't think I'd ever go see them live anyway. Um, yeah, no, because they anyway. kind of look like a dead act. Like seeing clips of it is just sort of like, like. <laughs> It does just look like a cult festival, you know?
0: Yeah, and, like, I imagine the crowd there would be, like, as bad as the band themselves. Oh, um, totally. Just, like, oh. heaps of other dudes in leather jackets with sideburns. Yeah. Um, or, like, you know, guys just like, oh, like, Harry, just like, why don't we put on a helmet and take some meth and go to the concert and then just <laughs> run into each other?
1: Um, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. It's like going to a Mac um, DeMarco concert or something like that yeah yeah yeah
0: so yeah man this doco is nearly two hours long and it just like adds to how drawn out and painful this fucking gross story is oh god it an hour and 45 minutes of just reprehensible people uh it's
1: it's like beyond tiger king it's um sounds yeah i mean
0: that's actually a really like it's pretty equivalent to tiger king now that you mention it yeah yeah. just this impossible collection of freaks thrown together you know um it's good i would really recommend it and i'm pretty sure it's pretty sure i just watched it on youtube i think the whole thing is on oh really um yeah which is
1: I'm not that surprised. I I feel like um, (laughs) this is the thing when when people start ragging on about, uh, you know, oh, you can't watch Woody Allen movies anymore or uh, Roman Polanski films or or whatever. And I sort of feel like if you think that the artists who are making your music are anything other than, like, horrible people, you know, as the rule, the exception is that they're, like, (laughs) actually not. Um, you've just got another thing coming, man. Like, honestly, you have to separate art from the artist. Like, I started watching the Metallica documentary, um, and I I ended up having to turn it off because it was the same sort of story. It was so bad, and it was basically, like, these whiny, lame, like you did this to me and it made me upset and yeah you were being cool bro and it was just like oh my god you guys were like the heaviest fucking band when i was growing up i used to listen to them thinking like yeah this is like the stuff i will listen to as i march into war you know yeah, uh, yeah. and it's made by these like whiny man children you know who are just like bitching and moaning and probably have like a legacy of brutal drug addiction and, like, violence and horrible, For unspeakable sure. acts behind them, you know? Yeah. But... I think, like, all artists
0: are just insanely insecure, egotistical people who just, like, want to bitch to the world, yeah. you know what I mean? And think that what they have to say is really important. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. like... Yeah. I'm, like as an artist myself, albeit at a very low level, like I, I find it even here, man, you know, like there's some people you meet, it's just like, holy fuck. Like, do you really live your life like this? Yeah. Like, yeah. The, the I sense mean, of importance. Yeah. And stuff we, that people have is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We were kind of like loosely in that scene, Uh, when you were here in Christchurch and there was like the gross Christchurch rap scene um, of which one character went on to do like, uh, she wasn't a rapper, but you know, went on to do very well. Um, But but again, hey? Bailey? Yeah, Bailey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the whole scene was fucking gross, man. It was like, it it draws a lot of similarities to what you're talking about. Like you remember the drugged out, like, Disgusting flats and squalor and like shifty characters that were involved. It, it just, yeah, it, I don't know.
0: No, it's I get it, man. Uh, but it's actually quite funny because there was also like that, that uh indie rock scene which played like the Dandy Warhols uh role in the Christchurch scene, you know? Oh, <laughs> yeah, like the, the filth of the Christchurch hip hop scene. And then, like, the kind of uh, prima donna uh, bang,
1: bang, indie etch. rock scene. Yeah, those guys. Bang Bang Edge were wild. I went to a few parties where they were at, and it was like... It was crazy. Mm. It was honestly no, like... No, they were
0: a good band, man. Oh, yeah, um, yeah.
1: They were epic, eh? They actually did quite well, I think, for a little while, but I think they had yeah. quite a few drug problems as well, man. Um, they had,
0: like, a weird situation where they, like... They toured Europe and played, like, massive festivals and shit, and they got signed, but... ...dropped from their label before they could put an album out. Really? Yeah, but I mean, it was probably their fault. I don't know. It yeah. normally is.
1: <laughs> I went to one party where they were at, and it was like... Um, ...12 to 15 people, maybe, lounging around... ...in like a really weird house on the edge of town... ...with blue lighting. And like everyone... ...when I walked in there, their like pupils were massively dilated... ...and I was talking to one of the members of the band... And, like, all he really had to say was, like, hey, man, you chill? Yeah. And I was, like... um, Yeah. (laughs) That scene used to do
0: heaps of fucking acid, man. There were, like, two guys that were, like, around that that scene. Um, I think one dude's name was Jesse, um, who was, like, this, like, weird older dude who hung out with, like, teenagers. um, And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, used to uh, ship heaps of acid from Wellington. Yeah. Um, and just, like, yeah, feed his, air quote, friends. Yeah. LSD. Um, and there was this other dude whose name, I think, was Angelo, um, who used to, like, cook his own acid and ether as well.
1: Oh, um, are you serious?
0: Yeah. So, like, there was always just that kind of shit on tap just, like, bootleg LSD and just, like, weird, like, home lab drugs. Um, But anyway, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) let's move on. Yeah. We're getting way too deep down the the Christchurch rabbit hole. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a whole You feel
0: like uh, booting up, man, and sharing your Yeah,
1: okay. Um, So I bring a less... Less... uh, i don't know it's it's just a, it's a different tale um it's basically about ray dalio's uh, so, so ray dalio's brought out like a new piece lately um mm-hmm. and all the do you podcasts... want to maybe give
0: a bit of background into who he is just yeah. For people yeah, who can... yeah yeah
1: all the podcasts where i talked about ray dalio are are lost to the uh, <laughs> lost to the uh Ether. The cyber ocean yeah but anyway i'm like a Big fanboy of Ray Dalio. He's like a multi-billion-dollar um, boomer uh, that, that runs this like massive hedge fund company called Bridgewater, and his entire like investing strategy is all based on like trying to predict trends that are going on in like a global context. He's also credited to making the chicken nugget. Uh, I think he credits himself that. Is he really? Much apparently so McDonald's wanted to bring out this the story that I read was McDonald's wanted to bring out the chicken nugget but they weren't sure whether they could sell it for profit and largely because the price of like Making you know a chicken and turning it into uh, gruel is uh, volatile, <laughs> whereas Ray Dalio came along and he was like, "If I can secure the price of soy, because a chicken is water and soy," was his reasoning. Then you can create this you know um, fantastic piece of Western cuisine, and he managed to secure the price of soy for like several years, and which called uh, what what is called like a futures contract, and then. Yeah. Voila, the chicken nugget was profitable enough to sell and has um, killed many Americans since, since its <laughs> glorious waltz into the world. So, yeah, right. The latest story is that Ray Dalio has been kind of sounding the alarm on uh, the global environment since I think 2017. He brought out this piece called um, The Greatest uh, Economic Challenge of Our Time or something like that. I can't remember the title of um, it. In- like, exactly. And the whole thing sort of talks about the erosion of the uh, white middle class in the states and how that's leading uh, drug abuse and alcohol abuse and the division between rich and poor. And the story, you know, the classic story of, like, Occupy Wall Street, which is like, oh, the, the 99 and the 1% is actually a story of, like, um, the top 40% and the bottom 60. And there's, mm-hmm. like, not really much of in between. You're either, like, poor shit in the bottom 60 or you're like, you know, middle management and above or whatever in the top 40% and you own houses and stocks and shit. And if you're in the bottom 60, you kind of like make minimum wage and, you know, you're worth like bugger all. And uh, because inflation is rising so fast, like your purchasing power has like been steadily declining since the 1980s. Mm. Um, And this is causing like a massive upheaval of the uh, of these communities across the states and frankly the world, where people are starting to get pissy about um pissy is a really shitty way to put it, but get annoyed about like <laughs> wealth gaps and inequality and stuff like that. You're getting real pissy about it. Yeah, rightfully so. <laughs> yeah, rightfully so. So he he's just brought out this new piece, which is effectively saying this is building on his previous um what sounds to me like a really crazy acid trip he had like several. Uh, decades ago, where Ray went bankrupt because he was betting um, that the global economy was going to crash in the '80s, uh, or or think it was like the end of the '80s or something like that, and it didn't. It went on this like massive bull run, and the economy did really well for like a decade. So he was very like publicly wrong, and he bankrupted himself. And then there's this like miscellaneous, uh, not you know this this sort of like piece of history that he doesn't describe that sounds like he just got loaded on a bunch of acid and he was like oh and it's during this period of um you know where i really had to look inwards yeah, quote, deep quote, quote, quote yeah yeah had a yeah, the <laughs> desert <laughs> yeah had a bit of a period of reflection um that i discovered the entire world is a series of cycles and machines and cogs and we're all sort of operating on these cycles in this great uh, universal machine that repeats itself over and over again and everyone's kind of like playing out um, roles and there's only a limited number of, of roles and personality types in history and all you're doing is wearing a different set of clothing and repeating it yourself over and over again. So I think Ray did a bunch of acid and has like basically just gone on this investing spree since then that's made him enormously wealthy. Um, so anyway... That's the introduction. His new piece states that we're currently in this, it's um, a quick overview, currently in this period where we're seeing uh, the U.S. decline and China take over, and the U.S. is in its death throes um, as it's gotten lazy and complacent, and China is the new rising power. So he gives a little history lesson that I'm going to dive into now. So jumping back to the 1600s, Um, is where traditional capitalism was actually first created, uh, which I wasn't aware of. I actually found that really interesting. It was made by the Dutch Empire, um, who at the time, like just before the 1600s, was like oppressed by the Spanish. And the Dutch eventually managed to overthrow them. Um, And what Ray is saying is because of their inventiveness and ability to create really fast ships. And it was these fast ships that allowed them to go and pillage other nations and steal their gold. But it's also where they created the first stock market. So suddenly the Dutch were able to all, like, throw their money on a venture and be part of, like, a company and all rise in wealth. And therefore, you know, the Mm -hmm. whole nation became wealthy. So Yeah, that's
0: super interesting.
1: Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was in the 1600s. Does that tie into, like, the East India Trading Company? That's the Dutch East India Trading Company. That was the first yeah, yeah. publicly traded. I don't know. Sorry, I don't know if it was the first publicly traded company, but I know that they had the first um, stock market at that time. And so the Dutch yeah, yeah. East India Company was the first one that was like everyone was buying into it. They were making bigger and better and faster ships. They established themselves as like an economic power, and then spread the Dutch Gilder, which was their currency, all throughout the world. So they yeah. then had the world's first reserve currency. And a reserve currency, oh. is basically, like, you know, I can go spend my money in a different country, and it's accepted there because it's, like, because that's the currency there. You yeah, know, it's the, a shored-up yeah. currency. Like... Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, the US dollar. You can spend that in, like, a bunch of different countries. You can go to Puerto Rico yeah, yeah. and spend US dollars or, or whatever. So they basically pillaged and looted and made themselves like obscenely rich. And Amsterdam became the world's first financial center. So basically Amsterdam was the New York of today. Um, And then over time, this is all part of Ray's theory, is that the Dutch empire grew so much that it became too costly to continue Mm -hmm. and that it started to lose its competitiveness. And then over uh, other countries start copying what the dutch empire is doing and then just like build their own thing so they're like oh look at this ship they take it apart whatever build their own and then realize how they can build it faster so this is where britain steps in this is about 100 years about 150 years after like the dutch empire had peaked britain starts to gain power um and they do it by creating like these hardcore nationalist policies where they're saying well okay dutch boats aren't allowed in and they're not allowed to trade with us. We're going to create our own super boats or whatever. So they block everything off. They make their own like economy really powerful. Um, And then they have a war with, uh, with the Dutch around, I think it's around 1750 or something um, to sort of challenge it. So part of Ray's theory is that there's this uh, cycle and that basically Uh, a new order is formed, and then the order, um, like, there's this period of peace and prosperity where the order is sort of like establishing itself and everything. Uh, But as all of this, you know, as the country grows richer and richer and richer, uh, they start to accumulate debt, and then a debt bubble starts to form, and then the wealth gap starts to form, and then uh, as soon as people realize that they can't pay back their debts, uh, that's when the economic downturn happens. Money is printed to try and like, you know, because they have a, a currency that everyone uses. They say, Hey, we can just print it and then we'll be rich. We don't have to make shit anymore. Um, and then that starts to like fail. Cause obviously there's all this money printed and they're not actually producing anything. Um, and then a new power that's rising challenges them in like a pissing match, you know, to basically uh, be the bigger man of the, of the cave. Um, And then they take power and they're the new order and the cycle continues. So So this
0: is basically saying that the United States currently is uh, Holland or the Dutch Empire and China is what Great Britain was. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. So this is what they're saying. So um, during that period, uh, the Dutch were trying to print money to, you know, expand their wealth. But they are also they weren't really producing anything, and they're all they became hugely uncompetitive and sort of lazy as a nation, and Britain was overtaking them. Um, Britain ended up being like, all right, you know, let's duke it out. Uh, we're going to be the new power, and Britain won the war. Uh, the Dutch Empire effectively crumbled, and the British pound took over as the um, as the reserve currency, and then that followed. Sorry to
0: interrupt you. Was this also when Great Britain took Manhattan from the Dutch? Um, I don't know. That'd be really interesting, though. Because I I think
1: like it would have been
0: around that point where when they were negotiating a peace treaty, and obviously this is just speculation because neither of us know this for a fact. Yeah. Um, I mean, about the timing, but there was one particular island in um, East Asia around Indonesia where... Um, the dutch empire had a lot of territory um and there was a negotiation about who would end up with manhattan and who would end up with this particular island yeah um and i'm guessing it was a really valuable spice if i remember correctly grew on this island in asia um and at the time manhattan was pretty resource poor um Mm. but was just in a strategic location so the dutch opted to uh, hang on to their Island and give up Manhattan to the British. Yeah. Um, and now a few hundred years later, that same Island in Asia is basically a barren wasteland and Manhattan is the most (laughs) prosperous Island in the world. And,
1: uh, yeah, the Indonesian have a name. I can't remember what it is, but, um, they call white people white coal or something as like an (laughs) offensive term. So the, the Dutch's legacy was certainly not a, uh, no one that's fondly looked upon back in the Yeah, right. Yeah, I have heard that though. And Manhattan was sold for like a dollar or something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so so basically, Britain rises to power. They follow a capitalist system. They set up a stock exchange. London becomes the financial center of the world, and the British East India Company becomes the company that is you know like yeah like the Amazon of today, I guess. Um, and then. Analogy. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. they take on uh, as like the world's leading military power. Then follows a hundred years or so of peace and prosperity where they're sort of like growing in wealth and growing in productivity um, and everything's sort of rosy and everything like that. So again, sort of jumping back a little bit, Ray's general thesis uh, or sort of general idea is that these timelines are so long that no one can really witness the entire thing so we all think that whatever's happening is like oh you know this has never happened before whereas he says well if you took take like a really long look at history everything kind of just does the same thing because of like human nature you know and and it's like these fundamental processes that you you like basically you can't really stop at all they just kind of happen and they'll always happen because of that's how people work Um, that's how like everything works is that uh, a country finds like a piece of technology or something that allows them to like take over other countries and kind of you know and uh, be the new ruler and then they get complacent and lazy um, and they grow to you know they grow beyond what they can control falter and then fall over and then a new power emerges and takes control um that has Man. largely ripped off the <laughs> the existing power that's so fucking poignant i know man it's just every time i revisit his work i'm always like oh my god this is just i think you know he really is onto something here um it's fascinating
0: i've always sort of uh tended towards the side of rejecting anything close to like a universal law or something that should like predict an outcome in a concrete way, but it's pretty hard to argue with this rationale. I think specifically in our current context, with yeah. obviously the rise of China and all of the tension that's happening at the moment.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. So, um, insane. So the British Empire obviously ends up sort of becoming, you know, it's beyond what it can actually feasibly control and everything, uh, and they also start to have massive power and wealth gaps um, at the end of the Industrial Revolution. So all these arguments start breaking out on how the wealth should be divided. Uh, they start to get more, like, you know, populist leaders and and leaders that are, we're going to address the wealth gap and blah, blah, blah. Um, and ultimately... Start
0: colonies wanting independence.
1: Yeah, yeah, like yeah, Australia, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then Europe breaks out into war, right? And you have the First World War, uh, which is people sort of trying to, um, fight each other for the, uh, for the top position and to be sort of like the new global leader. Um, and that ends loosely with the U S so, uh, you know, the whole world war was like heinously, it's obviously more complex than that, but Ray is taking a point that sort of, you know, this is largely established somewhat by. Um, these wealth gaps and these like political divides and the unrest between the fact that capitalism does sort of like all the wealth is going to start accumulating. And then you get these like outbreaks and it causes revolutions in war. Um, so the world war ends, the U S is Actually, like, I'm
0: really sorry to stop you, but I'd be really interested to know how nationalism plays into this because it seems to me like, i know with the rise of great britain they obviously had their sort of policy was it pax britannica and the whole idea that the sun never sets on the british empire and that kind of like um inherent right to rule the world
1: i think it was something like
0: that yeah and then obviously uh, during the first world war there were like really strong nationalist overtones with germany um And then, like, uh, nationalist movements in Yugoslavia, for example. Um, Turkey was really nationalist at the time. And now you have Donald Trump bringing in a new era of nationalism in the United States and China, as we know. So, like, maybe that's not uh, included in what Ray talks about, but I reckon that would be definitely like a component of this
1: somehow. I haven't seen him explicitly state it but my own assumption from the, you know, study that I've done. And when I was doing, uh, my economics honors, I had to do like a bunch of stuff on like East Asia. Um, and the way it looks is that at the beginning of a country's sort of like rise to power, it's heavily protectionist and isolationist. Um, but it's also ruthlessly copying like what other people are doing, you know? So, um, Britain was copying the boats from the Dutch Empire and was making them better and faster, but it was doing like unfair... Well, it's not really unfair trade practices. It's just... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just... It's not free trade. They're not saying, like, well, okay, we're going to have total free trade. But there comes a point where your nationalist policies won't continue to make you obscenely wealthy. That only Mm -hmm. works for a little bit. And then you have to move into, like, free trade because you have the upper advantage. So you have to say to another country, like, well... Well, we should have no tariffs and uh, we should actually be trading, you know, without taxing each other because that's fair. And then they take the sort of like open trade view and mm. it, they become like a free trade nation. But then after a while, if you grow too big, you can't. You know, control you your You eventually empire. have to start protecting your trade again. Yeah, your, bu- your bureaucracy, mm. like, ruins the entire thing. You become inefficient. So then, you, yeah, then you yeah. close down. You start becoming... And you start doing... Having unfair trade... Pra- well, not unfair trade practices. Again, it's just... You have trade practices that punish other nations. So yeah. that's, like, what Trump was doing with the tariffs on China and shit. It's yeah. like, well, we're not competitive anymore. Let's just legislate against um, the people we're competing with. And then we'll be competitive Let's not actually make shit that makes us more competitive, <laughs> you know, and thus continues the cycle. So so that's my understanding of it. So basically, end of World War One, New York becomes the financial center. A capitalist approach is taken. Uh, U.S. remains isolationist and doesn't have an empire. There's like Germany and Japan during this time have also grown in power. So then, you know, post-roaring 20s, we have the, uh, and then somewhat into the 1930s, there is also this period where it's like economic warfare leading up to that. And then it just becomes like all out warfare. Obviously, at the end of that, Germany and Japan get kind of like uh, brutalized, to say the least. And America <laughs> fully solidifies its power and, the, and it becomes the dominant nation. And it has its, you know, the US dollar becomes the reserve currency and the British pound starts to become kind of like, um, you know, not. Secondary. Uh, yeah, secondary and increasingly irrelevant over that time. Followed by 75 years of somewhat peaceful, a peaceful prosperous period. So then we're approaching the end of this cycle is what Ray's general, you know, entire point is, is that since 1970, the U.S. has effectively realized that it can't like its currency can't be paid it used to be the gold standard right so it used to be like you could go exchange a dollar for gold and then the banks realized mm-hmm. like well fuck we can't actually like do this because there's not enough gold um so then they made it like the Bretton Woods system where they're like okay uh you can exchange your dollar for like some gold not all the gold and then they're like oh fuck this uh we're just gonna do like a fiat system and you can exchange your dollar for dick so <laughs> you know it's not really <laughs> <nothing>. <laughs> So then that's led to like this um these debt cycles where the US has basically just been printing money and loading up on debt and um that's been just like causing these like massive recessions, each one bigger than the last one. Uh the dollar's becoming increasingly irrelevant because it gets printed. It's like if the economy's going down, what do we do? Oh, we'll just print fucking money. You know, it just as much as we can. We're all richer now because everyone uses the U.S. dollar. And that's just, like, dropping more and more into irrelevance um, as time goes on. So now, you know, China, since the 1970s, has had, like, ridiculous growth. I think I was looking into it, and it's something like I, – I can't remember the, the figure, but I think it's, like, 13x, which means that in living memory, if you were in China – your net worth would have grown 13 times. I mean, you think about how insane that is. Yeah, that
0: that is insane.
1: Yeah, if you had... So that's... Just to clarify, sorry,
0: is that like the average net worth of one individual in China?
1: That's the nation as a whole. Right, Um, yeah, okay. Which is everyone's net worth. So if I had... Yeah. Theoretically, if my net worth grew at the same rate as the um, nation's net worth, then I would have had... 13 times what i would have in the 1970s as like today or something if i'm remembering the figure it's around 10 to 13x which is just like yeah that is so insane so you know so basically where we're at currently is china's um in the top spot the u.s is becoming complacent and lazy um and you know it can't control its own like it's bureaucratic beyond belief there's like divisions because of wealth gaps uh and we're like in these periods of economic warfare that could lead to catastrophe is uh Ray's general warning message Hmm. so what's the move i don't know man <laughs> i'm thinking after that well he makes a really interesting couple of points where he says like these um you know dramatic rises and falls happen with nations that are trying to be the number one power in the world. Um, Nations that kind of just stay out of it actually do pretty well. They don't become the richest nations, but they have like stability over long periods of time. Um, He says on a personal level, because a lot of what he does is like use the example that um, people go through these cycles of, you know, of sort of like building themselves up and then, having periods of like prosperity and then falling into decline to sort of as an analogy for how nations do it. And he says, it's also a a reasonable strategy to pursue um, happiness and long-term, you know, stability versus to be number one. That's generally not a good rule. I think again, this is kind of like interesting because we're in the spectator view and always being on the side of the world. It's like, you know, That's fascinating, and I will watch from the sidelines who wins the great Chinese-American war of 2023. Um, Maybe
0: we won't watch from the sidelines, dude. We're not as far away as we think we are. Or, like, I guess, like, I don't mean in terms of physical proximity, but, you know, like, globalization has brought everyone in together. We're all so interdependent. Like, I think the extent to which New Zealand and Australia rely on the United States is, I think we kind of forget, you know?
1: Um, I don't know, man, because Helen Clark signed the free trade agreement with China. So we've been in bed with China for like a long time. I I think we're more on China's side than people would think we are. I don't think we're very tied to the US. Economically, yeah.
0: But when push comes to shove, you know, that's the problem, right? Like Australia and New Zealand are tethered economically to China, but our strategic and diplomatic interests are tied to the United States, which is why we do have such high
1: stakes in this conflict. Yeah. Um Maybe the Queen will get the final say. Wouldn't we're that be st- interesting? We're still colonies, right? So
0: Yeah, well, um pff, fuck. There's actually <laughs> like a um pretty strong Republican movement in Australia at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we talked about this, didn't we? But yeah, I'm all for getting rid
1: of the fucking queen, man. Yeah, I hate her, man. I reckon she sucks, eh? Like, yeah. t- talk about... She's just a relic from, like, like one of the... From a terrible era. Who who wants to have Absolutely, that dude. obvious... Like, at least now we're a little bit more hush-hush on the fact that you're born into, like, absolute power and privilege. Like, at least yeah. now, theoretically, anyone can be born into absolute power and privilege. It's not, like you know, contained to one bloodline, who's going to have absolute power. <laughs> like, you never know, like, you know, you're, someone's mom could sleep with, I don't know, Bill Gates, and then you'd be born into av- absolute, absolute pra- power. Like anyone can fuck their way into power and privilege. And that's, yeah, yeah a good p- way to put it. That's a good, yeah, it's a better system than, uh, <laughs> than the monarchy, you know, fuck the monarchy. I agree with you, man. Absolutely. Um, how funny is it that,
0: uh, what's the name of that prince who recently, like, pulled himself out of the royal family? Is it Prince Harry? Uh, I think it's Prince Charles, man. The yeah. young one?
1: Prince Charles, will oh, look it up. Prince Charles was the... Nah, Prince Charles is the queen's husband, isn't it? Who's the guy who's getting Epstein? The ranger. Oh, Epstein. Um, that's... Oh,
0: dude. There are too many of them. I guess the common thread is that it's confusing because they all suck. Um, yeah, they're all terrible people.
1: Prince but, Harry's um, the,
0: I, the badass. Prince Harry's the ranger who just bailed to LA, right?
1: Yeah. The ranger. Yeah. yeah, all right. I didn't know what you meant. Yeah, yeah, the ranger. There, yeah. there was this
0: like story I saw on some fucking magazine cover about he was doing an exclusive about how he's really like sad because he hasn't been able to make any friends since he moved to North America because like him and megan merkel or whatever her name is we're like no we don't want to be part of the royal family anymore we don't want to like live off the taxpayer's dollar we're gonna like do this upstanding thing and move to the the states yeah um but now they're just like tabloid fodder and they're just real sad
1: yeah which is so great oh it's hilarious Um, that's like the classic um sunset boulevard story where you have like have you ever seen that movie no, I haven't. Oh, it's great, man. It's, uh, you, it's a highly recommend watching. It's like a story of an aging actric, a- actress that um, tries to, like, regain her, uh, you know, lost stardom, mm. but is ultimately drives her mental. I mean, the but Prince Harry really story good. is kind of like... Yeah, it's great, but Prince Harry's story is kind of lamer and more pathetic.
0: Yeah, right. Because... Um.
1: He just has is Nigel Noma sitting in his fucking expensive suite.
0: Yeah, like um, billions of dollars worth of uh, taxpayer subsidisation on your life hasn't uh, hasn't allowed you to find happiness. There you go. Serves you right. Yeah, man. Exactly.
1: No sympathy at all. Um, what have you been watching lately, man? So, I tried watching Hannibal. And I tried watching Ooh, okay. Channel Zero and I was kinda like What is Channel Zero? Uh oh, it's just like another shitty, um shitty horror thing. You know. Right. It's it's just like it's it's basically it was made off a creepy pasta. Are you aware of like creepy pastas? <laughs>
0: Vaguely, yeah. Yeah. Like, so, I know, feel like in my brain I know what they are, but if you ask me to define it, I can't.
1: You know what I mean? They're like little stories people make on the internet where yeah. they're like, you know, it's like I'm not sure if you're familiar with Slender Man, but Slender Man was effectively yeah, a story yeah. of, yeah, of these like women who um, saw like a big lanky character and wrote it something. It was me yeah (laughs) yeah yeah um it was pretty lame anyway yeah it's kind of like when someone tries to adapt like a video game to a movie uh and it's just it turns out really poorly and this was like someone trying to adapt a um a creepypasta to a series and the whole thing's just contrived and shit and bland the same with hannibal man i started watching it and i was like oh cool you know um I'm all burnt out I'm just gonna vegetate and watch some some good old TV and the, the age of golden television and it was just like fucking shit and they had some they I'm not like the biggest fan of the original Hannibal and the original Red Dragon and stuff I kind of yeah. like think it's okay as like a 90s detective thing about a cannibal you know and and some of it could be like it could be done quite well but it doesn't blow me away But this was so shit. This was like every possible trope they could think of. And they were just trying to mash it into the show to be like, oh, we'll just make this. We'll just just fucking put it all in there, you know. Like, we'll, we'll have the autistic detective, and and he's going to be, like, a weird, and and he's going to, like, visualize himself killing people. And, and then we'll have Hannibal, and he'll be, like, a like like an upstanding doctor, but he's, like, a cannibal. And, and they'll have this, like, relationship, and it'll be, like, a backwards and forth, kind of like a Sherlock Holmes sort of thing, where we're going to have, like, uh, you know, Sherlock is the weirdo, and whoever the fuck Sherlock's sidekick is, it'll be great. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll have uh, Lawrence Fishburne, because he needs to come back and we'll make him in there and he'll just be like a moody Morpheus and it's just like oh my god what you fucking assholes can you stop like this sucks this is bad TV is ruining the story it's like I don't know how anyone watches this shit and enjoys it um anyway didn't work for me at the moment like the
0: streaming era has kind of ushered in a lot of like sort of TV series that are about a seven to a 7.5 out of 10 (laughs) but like there's no gold medal winners like you don't have the sopranos or er or the wire yeah those kind of shows anymore like even game of thrones came pre-streaming you know what i mean
1: yeah totally
0: bad like those really iconic ones i think when tv was still the predominant way of viewing things you could steal enough market share with a big enough show like that that it was profitable and worth doing and it was edgy but and I
1: controversial think, as well right like those were yeah, yeah. you know groundbreaking um,
0: and i think now with streaming everyone just wants to get a fucking slice of the pie right yeah like, and just churn shit out because it's all about content and like visualization because you just need to like grab the news cycle for 24 hours um yeah as opposed to
1: actually having like staying power so exactly it's the um, gruel age man the visuals in Hannibal are really good but honestly it's like it's it's totally it's like let's come up with something we'll have a few shocking uh images and we'll just like put that in um and the rest of it is just going to be like rehashed worn narrative and uh character relationships that you've seen a thousand times and it's impossible to find it interesting uh, i mean it's not like i maybe it'll maybe you know you dear listener will enjoy hannibal but oh i'm not gonna watch it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I fucking um, don't, man. it sucks <laughs> i watched this movie
0: recently called i don't fail at home in this world anymore
1: oh i've seen so that yeah yeah, yeah what did you wood. think of it i quite liked it eh? i thought it was one of those i cute... really liked it as well yeah yeah cute indie um, films on netflix yeah i really liked
0: how short and punchy it was i think it was like an hour 20 um yeah. like a really short movie that like wasn't had no fat that needed trimming yeah um, normally i like movies that build pretty slowly and i'm like I'm all there for like a three-hour "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood" kind of deal. Yeah, um, yeah, this was really good. Um, it kind of reminded me of those short and sweet novels that are like maybe 120 pages that you kind of read in a weekend. Um,
1: yeah, fucking hey, that, that's exactly how it felt, eh?
0: And also, really liked the really violent turn near the end. Yeah, um, that was didn't seem forced. Um, but was, yeah, shocking enough that it was impactful. Yeah. Um, And really nice to see as well someone in a film hating everyone around them because I relate to that (laughs) so much. Just like stopping at the light and seeing that fucking douchebag like revving his pickup truck Uh, Um, or just whatever, you know, and like telling... Some cunt in the supermarket not to cut in front of you on the line, yeah. Um, which is something that I've only started doing in like the last two years. Do people actually do that? No, but it's like a metaphor for a lot of things, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, it's like, actually, dude, you're not going to just open your car door before me, I'm going to get out first, and you can suck my dick if you don't like it, (laughs) yeah, because yeah. Believe it or not, you're not the only one that's in a rush. Yeah. Um, no, that actually has never happened to me. Um, that image just sprung into my <laughs> head. <laughs> but if it did... Might one day, though. You know what you do. Yeah, it's a premonition. Absolutely. Um, I'm reading nothing right now. Um, yeah. What about you?
1: Um, well, following my, like... Oh, uh, Ray Dalio. Well, yeah, I guess I've been reading Ray Dalio. Um, I've been, like, really enjoying binging on, like, Joey Diaz's Twitter, uh, (laughs) because I've apparently (laughs) am too much of a pleb to read books on a weekly basis.
0: Oh, I need to follow Joey Diaz. I'm going to do it right now.
1: He's, like, really
0: good, eh? I feel like he Is his handle just Joey Diaz?
1: I think it is, yeah. I really like Joey Diaz as, like, a general character. He seems like a, like a relic from a long lost age that...
0: I don't really know that much about him. I've only just, like, obviously heard him on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast a bunch.
1: Yeah, I've only really heard him on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast as well. You know, I've, like, watched his podcast a couple times, um, The Church, but mainly the one where he, like, gets people really incredibly fucked up on these, like, little things called Stars of Death that contain something like a 1,000 milligrams of THC. Or something absolutely fucking obscene. And they just have panic attacks. And then Joey Joey Diaz just sort of sits there being like, you know, take it easy. We'll get some fresh air coming in. You know, it's good for the anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I can't help
0: it. It's good for the anxiety, just not having a thousand milligrams of (laughs) KHC. Yeah,
1: or having like... Start
0: with like 200.
1: (laughs) I know, man. Even that's a fucking lot. Like, just chill out. Like, there's no need for that much you know but i don't it makes good
0: good entertainment like that's it's so funny like stoners that go that hard and just like oh man i'll get anxious if i don't have this hey it's like no dude like you're so used to being anxious that you think when you're not anxious you are anxious
1: like, yeah, yeah yeah you're fucking yeah. broken they haven't had their um they're like i don't know their brains just shrouded and and fucking thc i feel like that you can't think properly to understand like how bad that is it can't be fucking good view. But anyway, it makes for good entertainment. Like that's that's the pinnacle of um that's the golden age of of T V in my mind. It's Joey's Diaz just getting people fucked up and trying to make them talk about like issues while like speaking in that super gravelly voice.
0: Yeah. That's
1: <laughs> it's sad how much I understand
0: what you mean. I'm just yeah. like picturing it and enjoying it without even having seen it
1: yeah 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 oh i'd highly recommend checking it out in terms of reading like i probably should i was going to start trying to dive into like some more i don't know intellectual pursuits (laughs) but i just i'm not done binging on like crap easy to access media yet oh never stop um it's there for a reason man it's because
0: we fucking love it you know humans we're at the end of the day we're just monkeys with like a connect four set you know oh yeah Um, totally man we shouldn't think too highly of (laughs) us
1: i don't think so i like have that entire feeling backed up especially after the whole ray dalio thing that so much shit i feel like after reading that is out of my control that um you may as well just give in to your instincts you know
0: yeah man I think um, in a a large way that's true obviously try and do shit and try and be happy but also just remember that you are a primate yeah totally it's not like oh it's mellow just be violent and rape people (laughs) but yeah yeah, yeah. sometimes just be like yeah I'm just gonna like lie back and eat a pack of raisins yeah it's like I'm a fucking monkey man yeah you know just like Belly laugh. Going through this crazy world, dumb shit, with my monkey brain.
1: Yeah, totally. Um,
0: so there you go. Um, have you got a primates
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, fucking hell Have you got a grifter of the week? Um, oh, dude, yeah. This is one's like a
0: first-hand one. Um, oh, sick. I got into like a, a very low-key beef with this local real estate agent. <laughs> and like i don't even know him but like two weeks ago or some shit uh there was this real estate agent uh catalog put in my letterbox which says no junk mail but i feel as though real estate agents are so like they lack the self-awareness to realize that their flyer could be junk mail but they can't comprehend that someone wouldn't want their rubbish Yeah, yeah they think that they're so important um firstly it was just like really poorly designed like visually and that really annoys me when someone in a position of responsibility in a business like reviews a design and it's just like yeah that looks dope print 5000 yeah when it's clearly ugly but whatever that's just a taste thing like there's no need for me to contextualize my frustration by talking about economic uncertainty right now yeah But this catalog was essentially just like now's a great time to sell your house Um, you know, like it's a it's a seller's market. Um, blah blah blah. You know, contact us today to find out how we can help you. Blah blah blah. I fucking I actually have the emails in my (laughs) emails. Maybe I should. I'll find some quotes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I read this thing, dude, and I was just like, how how are you comfortable just like lying through your fucking teeth, you dog? um What's his name? Dwayne. Oh, it was Dane. Dwayne and Dane are just as gross. Yeah, Dane Evans so from Harcourts. That's him. So yeah, quote: If you're thinking of selling, now would be an excellent time to start preparing. They keep talking about how they are trying to add value to their clients, but at the same time, uh, in the midst of like a tumbling property market in Australia. Yeah are um, telling people to just like, yeah, if you're thinking of selling, do it now.
1: It's so um, desperate. Eh?
0: Yeah, and so like I read it and threw it in the bin and then the next day I was just thinking about it and I was like, you know what? Fuck this guy, man. Like, don't send me junk mail and send everyone else your fucking junk mail trying to con people into selling their properties at a low price. So like I pulled it back out of the rubbish and I emailed him because I was like whatever like you're not gonna fucking bully some old lady and just like think that no one cares you know yeah um so basically just gave him a piece of my mind i guess i was pretty grumpy that day um and like i did it in a diplomatic way and then he called me back right Or well, he emailed me back and was like hey like can i call you and we'll have a chat and i'm like yeah absolutely mate i'm ready um so i'm talking to him on the phone and he's just like oh you know mate i'm really sorry if you were offended oh, it certainly wasn't my intention to do that or mislead anyone you know in yeah. this game mate you've just got to try and put a positive spin on things because you know the the business is is hard enough as it is and there's a lot of negative opinions around at the moment and no one <laughs> to do business opinion. with me if i'm if I'm just, you know, saying some negative things. So I'm just trying to get things, get the ball rolling a bit, mate. And it's like, yeah. yeah, but you're actually just saying nothing, bro. Like, you're not justifying your decision. You're, like, using an excuse. Um, And, like, I said that to him, and he replied by saying, well, like, at the moment, we're having more people calling up, inquiring about buying property than we are having people listing it. And yeah. he said that. As evidence that the market is robust and as in like if there are lots of inquiries that must mean that properties will sell for a high amount which is just like not logical because the reason that there are so many inquiries is because prices are low um and also he's like using this super small like sample size of his own kind of um anecdotal experiences as his like worldview to inform how he talks to people about people's houses away as a whole. Yeah, exactly. So I basically said that to him and it just like went over his fucking head because he's a real estate agent and why would they fucking think any more about it? So anyway, I just like, okay, man, thanks for the chat. See ya. Like have a good life. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So like in my email, I said that I would like spread the word about his unethical business practices. So now I am.
1: There we go. Yeah. All right. So Shout out to you, Dane
0: Evans. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, do, you have, awesome. do you have a grifter?
1: I, also, I honestly do. Um, but I've just realized this is super long um, and I might save it for next week just to do like a whole thing on Elizabeth Holmes. Cause I started diving into it and it's such a good story that I actually want to yeah, tell okay. it in its entirety. Yeah. <laughs> uh um, no that's cool that's a good idea yeah. then
0: it would be a shame to um for it to lose impact for the yeah, brevity
1: we've been going for like an hour and a half so i figured this is like at least a half hour tale of complete corporate fuckery and cult-like behavior um love it it's yeah. what we love Let's, uh, <laughs> keep it in the chamber That's good <laughs> um
0: just quickly in terms of new music um I'm a real sucker for the 1975, which is, like... Do you know the 1975, that pop band whose Um, whole fan base is, like, 14-year-old girls? They they what? Their whole fan base is, like, 14-year-old girls. 1975. I think I've heard, like, some of their music. Yeah, man. Anyway, their new music out uh, came out on Friday. Their album Notes on a Conditional Form. Yeah. And it is, like, a genre-spanning, super ambitious, sexy fucking piece of work in my opinion yeah Um, yeah. it's got like some uh some sort of like folk acoustic ballads some uh english garage music like electronic dance stuff um almost a little bit of reggaeton flavor in a couple of tracks some uh like power pop some fucking uh 80s glam rock influences shit and okay I'm gonna it check sounds this like a chaotic jumble and in a sense it is but they do so much of it so well um so it's really cool um yeah yeah apparently like the album is meant to encapsulate british nightlife
1: um which or, i heard is dirty and disgusting um exactly yeah and my um, general take on my only understanding of british nightlife is like when you see, I don't know, have you, have you seen like the Geordie Shore thing? And they all go out and drink vodka sodas, and there are all these like <laughs> jacked dudes everywhere that probably are sneaking pingers like in the bathroom. They
0: don't hang out at the same bars as the 1975 <laughs> <of> dudes. <do. laughs> um, but that would yeah. be one tragic version of British nightlife, I'm sure. Yeah. But um, we basically have that here in Brisbane. So um, <laughs> we are like
1: Britain essentially yeah exactly we're just grosser probably yeah grosser the more like dumbed down version that uh mtv hasn't learned of yet um what have i been listening to lately let me open up my spotify because i definitely have been listening to something um oh yeah i was rediscovering this like local band called soaked oats um that are fucking epic
0: have you heard them no, but it's a
1: nice name for a band. I oh, it... dude, they're so good. Uh, I saw them play live in like a little arts gallery somewhere, and they were all oh, dressed. You? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a real, real champion of the arts around um, the Detroit of New Zealand. So I saw them play live in this art gallery, and they were all dressed up as like a. Uh... I think they were meant to be dressed up as like moldy oatmeal or something. They they had like blue faces with like white splotches all over them, and there was like there a go. like a woman sitting at the bottom with like a uh, at the so there's like the band, and then just below the band was this woman with like a um, bag of little paper notes, and you'd go up and pull out a paper note, and she would read it and then yell it at the band and they would start playing it so. I don't know. That was the gimmick. It fucking worked really well live. But th- they're kind of like like uh, that melancholy, sort of Brianstown, Brian Jonestown Massacre-esque, but like post, whatever yeah, the, cool. the post-Brian Jonestown Massacre sound, which would be like if Brian Jonestown cleaned the shit up, got on antidepressants and lived a life of um, <laughs> monotony and uh, dulled emotion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Great it's fucking Um, good though it's real good real good music shoegaze I guess right hey would you would you
0: call that shoegaze
1: yeah yeah it pretty much is shoegaze I'd say they their term is like sludge pop um you can give it a thousand different names for the same thing it's like yeah yeah music you play when you're not quite happy but you're not quite sad uh, and you want to walk around and it's like cold but sunny out you know (laughs) so all the time fucking sick that and like tons of Black Sabbath and doom metal and all the other crap that I listen to on a daily basis, but you know, that's the good shit what that I'm listening to. Nothing else. Check it out, Soaked Oats. It's fucking yeah. Good. I will.
0: Um, yeah. Chuck it in Spotify right now. Yeah, um, man. All right, let's do like thirty seconds on something that we hate.
1: Um, something that we hate. I fucking hate um, local attitudes in small towns I was in Kaikoura and like I had a pretty frosty reception I didn't sorry I didn't really have the frosty reception but like a couple of my friends did have a very frosty reception of just like locals being really suspicious of outsiders which may be like a little bit more of like a you know post-covid thing but rocking up to that town and just like people just giving the the mad stare just being like who the fuck are you townies yeah right we like actually got called townies I couldn't believe it man are you like, fucking serious it's yeah! <laughs> like bro from Christchurch man like, who it's not says even that uh the the crowd that was like ragging on us was like real old salty sea dog surfers oh that off. were just like locals
0: know. only bro yeah locals mate been here
1: for 45 years yeah like, that's oh. your problem mate yeah i know man yeah yeah it's just a little bit done i don't think you can really have that whole thing like you know of being like a shitty person in a small town like bro you survive yeah. on tourism like don't fucking well, like, give me that have shit. that
0: as an aspect of your personality but not like the foundation of it
1: yeah exactly yeah yeah it's pretty weak yeah anyway what, what do you hate dude uh paywalls man all right like yeah i've been i think you
0: actually linked me to like a new york times article recently um and i realized that it was like my last free one of the month oh and i'm like motherfucker like i need a vpn or something
1: no 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 i got you fam bypass paywalls it's an extension i'll link oh, it to you fuck god yeah, i feel yeah, like no, Fuck paywalls. An idiot um yeah. if it, yeah god it's that simple
0: yeah, um, no, it's that simple. There you go. Yeah. Well, thank you for allowing me to hack the mainframe. <laughs> I hate paywalls as well. That That is nonsense. Um, yeah. Although, I know, mean, I guess there is the argument that these uh, media outlets still need to make a dollar, right? But fuck, I don't have a dollar to give them. The fake news
1: um, media. I don't know about that. Yeah. Didn't you hear? <laughs> um, True, yeah, sorry. It is Chairman worse. Trump already declared that over. He's uh, proudly... Um, announcing the end of the Atlantic on Twitter. Oh, that's right!
0: I forgot about that. <laughs> <your laughs>
1: screenshot you sent me. What a fuckhead,
0: man! <laughs> God, the Atlantic is good.
1: Yeah, they do some good stuff. eh? Um, I really yeah. like their editor as well, Scott Stussel. I think his name. Is. Okay. Let right. me let me double check that real quick. But I he... like that the Atlantic seems pretty balanced. Yeah, they're they're they actually I feel overtook the um, New Yorker. The New Yorker was kind of shitty, I feel, for a long time. Oh, sorry, right. like recently kind of shitty. Like it's really decreased in value because it's just gone after the millennial market and it's like yeah, done catering yeah. to them. You know, that they're not worth catering to. Um, whereas The Atlantic is sort of stuck to the fact that it's actually going to be like a legit news piece.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's far less uh, bloggy.
1: Yeah, yeah. They, they seem to actually do journalism, which is nice. But apparently also, 20% of their workforce going it's RIP,
0: man. It's crazy the way it's it's all happening at the moment for journalists, man. Um, news Corp is flashing hundreds of workers in Australia right now. That's
1: brutal. Um, yeah probably well, they're, they're, fund they're, Ru- yeah. Murdoch's Botox or something. Um, the new generation is just going to be like one-man news organizations like Joe Rogan, you know. Yeah. In certain podcasts fucking weird yeah those modern guilt guys i've heard throwing their weight around yeah (laughs) speaking
0: of which uh let's wrap it up all right email us if you have anything to say you can be mean or you can be nice or you can just say whatever uh modern guilt pod at gmail.com um and if you want to drop us a dollar or two then uh hit modern guilt pod at gmail.com on paypal and uh Hook up your boys. Oh, sick. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. buy us a coffee. Yeah, going to have to uh, hit stop on the recording and set that up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>